Welcome to WP Tonic Roundtable Podcast, where a panel of leading WordPress junkies discusses the latest WordPress and internet stories of the week. Now, on with the show with your moderator, Jonathan Denwood. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 507. <clears throat> we record this every Friday at around 8.30 Pacific Standard Time. Um, got a great, we've got some great stories, um, got a great panel. I'm going to let the panel quickly introduce themselves and we're going to start with Spencer. Spencer, can you quickly introduce yourself to the listeners of you? Sure, Spencer Foreman from launchflows.com. And I've got my great friend John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself? John Locke from Lockdown Design and SEO. And I've got my friend Kim Shiveler with us. Kim, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Kim Schivler from howtobuildanonlinecourse.com and kimschivler.com. And I've got my friend Chris. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Chris from Lifter LMS. I help course creators create, launch, and scale. And you can find my podcast called LMS Cast. That's great. Uh, before we go into the main stories of the week, and I think I've rustled up some good ones, I just want to quickly talk about some of our sponsors. And firstly, Kinsta. Kinsta is a WordPress-only hosting company. They've been hosting the WP Tonic website for the past couple of years. Um, they're a great sponsor of the show. And basically, it's just top-notch hosting. And um, if you've got a learning management system, a WooCommerce site, Anything like that that's getting any type of traffic, you need superior hosting, and you get you will get that with Kinsta. They also got a fantastic interface. It does make a difference. You know, you can um, use it almost straight away. Nothing's too hidden. And the main thing is you get really fantastic support. When I've ever had a problem, and it's only been occasionally that I've had to call them, the person that I spoke to, at the beginning, was the person that sorted out the problem. <clears throat> and if you've ever used other people's hosting that will remain nameless, that's not normally how things work. If you've got a really difficult problem, and if you're a developer or you've got experience, it's normally the more difficult problems that you're, you're calling support for. Some of, these are <clears throat> some of these other hosting companies, you're just passed around endlessly, wasting a lot of your time. You don't get that with Kinsta. So go over to Kinsta for yourself or for your clients. Buy one of their products. And the main thing is to tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic Show. Our second sponsor is WP Fusion. You know, if you've got a CRM like Active Campaign, Infusionsoft, all the big names, and you really want to integrate it with WordPress, you need WP Fusion, not only for your own sites, but for your clients' websites. It really puts all the automation that you need in 2020 on steroids. So go over to WP Fusion, have a look what they've got to offer, buy one of their packages, and also tell them that you heard about them on the WP Tonic show. So let's go into story one. WordPress contributors propose updating track ticket resolution to be more friendly. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw this over to Spencer because uh, the recommend. I just don't know why they just do the obvious and put it on. It, even the it, the whole GitHub. Yeah, GitHub. Just put it on GitHub. Like everybody on. else in the universe. Yeah, exactly. Just. 
You know, it was the most bizarre article, wasn't it? I mean, it's a weird one that you picked for the show because it sort of emphasizes the things we've talked about. Like, nobody cares about this unless you're a WordPress geeky kind of WordPress person. But nobody in the last five years would care about track or any of the weird way that they host this stuff now. And I personally find it very uncomfortable to work in that space. I don't contribute there. GitHub is normal and natural. So if you care about this kind of stuff, I suppose it's an interesting topic, but otherwise uh, it's like we're talking about how telephones dial or something. I mean, who cares? Yeah, but I'll I'll put it in because um, first of all, just for that, you know, the whole conversation is totally a waste of time. And B, the last bit when they said they approached Mac to get, and it was a typical Mac answer. Basically, you got no answer at all, really. Did well, you? look at look at the comment. There's only three comments because again, it's kind of like a sterile topic. But Bastion says after the fit at the fifth won't fix. I I basically you know stopped because. That's the whole point. They're not going to change anything. They have no incentive to change. The few people who still contribute are hardcore, probably first-generation WordPress contributors, and the rest of the people are like, I got better things to do than deal with this aggravation. What do do you think, Chris? Uh, As a plugin that gets a lot of feature requests and feedback, both in Facebook, on our official feature request form, on GitHub, um, I do sympathize with them a little bit. And you end up, at least for us, you end up having to say no 95% of the time. And it's more like a not right now, but people's expectations are often out of place. Like they, like sometimes people think that, okay, I submitted this feature request. When's it coming? So like the whole system there is, um, especially for a complex product like WordPress, it's, it's really all about managing expectations and saying no effectively or not right now or the out of scope thing. So it's super important. If you're going to be community driven in your development like we are, you have to listen, but you end up having to say no a lot or not right now, like almost most of the time. So it's, I, I just empathize with the challenge there of dealing with the inbound feature requests. And what's really important is the relationship between the community and the development team to make sure people are heard. There has to be a system for intaking feature requests so that it is, or like uh, bug fixes, low priority, high priority. The more transparent you can be, the better the expectations are there. And I think that's where a lot of companies get into trouble with community-driven development is it just comes off kind of cold. But it takes a lot of work to, to really put the good communication in place and manage expectations. Mm. Yeah, what do you reckon, Kim? Well, to me, I think it really is. It's the community thing. The the freaking out about it seeming so rude, it it just kind of reminds me of old school, like back when I I was in IT, you know, and anyone asked for anything and the answer was just no. (laughs) You know, it was just kind of like that. But in a community-driven I'm with you, Chris. So a lot of times it's beyond the scope and people don't understand that. But if it's a community, maybe it just needs to be a way to say that's beyond of our current scope instead of the typical not to fix. I don't know. I don't contribute, so it didn't hurt my feelings. Uh, So, John, so do you agree with Spencer? Basically, don't fix it because they don't really want anybody contributing to it anyway, so... Well, I, I think at this point, it's it's pretty much automatic employees are guiding the ship and other 
contributors are really just there to, to um, help automatic get to their product destination. One thing I would add to this really is, you know, the messages that they're talking about are invalid works for me and won't fix. And I agree that words do matter sometimes because, you know, works for me, it, it just is kind of dismissive of, uh, why they're not going to implement a bug fix, but the the alternate, we can't reproduce this or it's non-reproducible, that is a lot more empathetic and, and it doesn't come off as just like, we're not going to fix this because we don't care, if that makes sense. It does. All right, on to the next story. This is a juicy one. Apple approves, hey, email app, but the fight now, the fight's not over. And the basic, um, it comes from Basecamp. They produce this app um, um, that's a, it, it's really interesting about making the email a lot more easier um, to use effectively. And they put it in um, in the Apple app um, store, and and Apple got really pissy about it and banned it. And then it really, it really exploded. What, what did you reckon about this one, Chris? All, all hell broke out, didn't it? There's really three stories colliding here, so it's important to kind of identify all three. One of them is that in marketing, outrage is one of the most viral emotions. So if if your messaging is about outrage, that kind of stuff spreads very fast. So I think there's some brilliant marketers behind this. Um, in terms of getting the word out about, hey, the second story is marketing through an exclusive like invite-only launch. That has been proven to work in other softwares and other, other products. Uh, so they're doing that. And then the third thing here is really a story about the monopoly of Apple and the, you know, having that dominant control or pretty much all the control over the... the um, app library is there's an issue there. And if they want 30% of the revenue that goes through the in-app purchases, that's, I mean, they're, they're a company. They can, they can make the deal what they make the deal, but they have a little bit of the monopoly stuff going on and that needs to be addressed. And if I could recommend a great book I'm reading recently, it's called Makers and Takers. And then it's about the financialization of Apple and how they changed from a product innovation led company to a financial-led company. And that's one of the reasons. There's a whole story behind that and how that happened post-Steve Jobs. But uh, that whole thing, if, if you've been thinking that innovation has been a little slow at Apple, um, things aren't as quality as they used to be, I would highly recommend that book um, about makers and takers. So what, what do you reckon, John? What do you reckon? Yeah, the, um, you know, David uh, Hansen, you know, he's, he's known for being, for having his opinion of, of how things should run. Uh, and they've been working on this email app for a long time. But I think like part of this marketing is making Apple seem like the bad guy. Mm. But I find it very interesting that even though they said that they would rather, you know, not, put this out, then pay Apple 30% of the share, they still need that platform as a distribution channel. 
And I think that speaks volumes that even a big brand like Basecamp uh, can't launch a new product unless they're present on this app platform. Just the virality of their own brand is not enough to, to get the um, penetration of this new email product that they want. I think it's a gatekeeper. It's a gatekeeper problem. Your your yeah. point is well taken, but that I think the issue. And, and let me preface this by saying, I love Thirty Seven Signals. I love Jason Fried. I love David Hedemeyer Hansen for different reasons. But they're Chicago meat and potatoes common sense folk like me. Where I always say, if I was going to start a business in a freemium world as a hot dog stand, I'd go out of business, right? So the idea of like all these. Silicon Valley, give it away for free, build your audience, doesn't work in Chicago. So they approach all their problems from the standpoint from day one. I remember when Basecamp was started of, does it make sense? Is it fair? Is this right? And so when you take that sensibility, the core of the issue is Apple has an anti-violation, uh, antitrust violation problem. They control the entire phone market when it comes to if an app works for email or not. And they're charging what is a usury percentage of 30%. There's no justification that they can make that says, just to let your thing in here, you have to give 30% of your revenue. But worse is that they have 100 different companies that all are allowed to publish, let's say, news readers or other kind of things where the app is free, it does nothing, and that's okay. But just because you're a threat to our inbox app, we're not going to let you in there. And if we do let you in, you're going to give us a third of your business, like you're on the effing shark tank. That is what I think the heart of the problem is. And I do want to say, although your point is well taken, I think Schiller doesn't make his himself or Apple look like the good guys here because their hypocrisy comes through in the way they justify things and then they follow up on things. Whereas, you know, the old saying, nothing, to, you know, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Well, 37 Signals does not need the revenue from Hay. Like, Basecamp is a freaking cash machine, tens of millions of, of dollars of profit. But those two guys are so well known for being the outspoken critics. To pick a fight with them would be potentially a David and Goliath for Apple. That is to say, yeah, 37 Signals is this big against Apple, but man, would they put up a big fight and cause Apple to have a big black eye. And I think that's why this is playing out the way it is. I want to say one last thing too. The, the product is interesting enough and compelling enough for me to try it. I happen to use Google Apps email, which filters most of my crap, and I just use the standard browser interface. But I do find it compelling that they're doing something very unique. They're sort of saying like, Take control over all the BS spammers and then put your other people here and your other people here, but not in a way like other people have forced you into. So I like that at least it's interesting. And for 99 bucks a year, might be worth a try. Yeah, it's interesting. What do you reckon, Kim? I, I really liked Chris's breakdown of it, the, the marketing story and the buzz. But other than that, I, I didn't have any skin in the game in this one really, guys. All right then. All right, let's go on to story three. But it, it'd be interesting to see how this um, actually works out. I, I think Apple got some problems coming their way. Um, 
Uh, well, especially the European Commission, you know, I, I think I think the Commission's going to have a field day with them. Um, I mean, just, th- just think about 30%. If somebody said, hey, Chris, uh, you know, if you want to use uh, Lifter and uh, WordPress anymore, it's going to be like uh, 30%. Uh, you and Tom has got to pay us 30%. So we'll come <laughs> by every week and get your money. It's like, imagine that happens, right? That's what's happening with the Apple Store. It's just out of control. Yeah, Matt, come, Matt comes to you, Chris. We want to have 30%. Matt, we want to have 30%. Matt, Matt would say it very differently. He'd be like, Chris, um, we're going to need 30% of your money because it's special and stuff. Yeah. We'd be very soft-spoken. We need you to show your support for the work. Equally, equally frightening. We want 30% from you, Chris. You know. Well, this is open source. It's not proprietary yeah, like Apple. It's different. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to story three. And that is actually came from Chris, and it's a guide to hosting your Lyft at LMS site. What are your better articles, I might say, actually, Chris? So I thought I would throw it in. So what was it about, Chris? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for the compliment, but actually Lyft LMS community member Sarab Shukla wrote this article for us. But it's a guide to hosting your Lyft LMS site. Hosting is a very hot topic. <laughs> in the LMS community, um, just like e-commerce, because it's a, it's a heavy processing um, thing. And basically what makes Lifter LMS different from other WordPress websites that people need to consider is all the dynamic content, which is not cacheable content, large amounts of data, complex database inquiries. This is like quizzing and reporting and things like that. Concurrent users, heavy processing, and then the other, you know, plugins that people often use in conjunction on an LMS site. It's not a simple brochure site for a business like most WordPress sites or content sites, which are a lot easier to cache and don't have as much or, or barely any dynamic content. So we wrote this article to help our community um, because there's a lot of misinformation out there around hosting recommendations. There's a lot of... Um, People just trying to find the cheapest, which I relate to because we promote uh, and we've, we create our product, Lifter LMS, around the education entrepreneur, the bootstrapper who has limited resources and they're trying to go to market. They're trying to keep costs down. So you can, you can use our tool on cheap, low-end shared hosting and you're going to be completely fine. But when you start scaling up into bigger numbers, bigger concurrent users... Uh, more what you mean is you've actually you start having actual real business yes you're you're, 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 you're gonna get into you're gonna get into some major pain aren't you yeah and if you have the budget so what we met what we recommend you can always move that's the thing in wordpress hosting nobody is keeping you in jail you can move oh unless they get you to sign a five-year <laughs> and if you if you don't know how to move moving a site is not that crazy and you can hire a professional to do that so basically, we put this guide together to help educate people so they understand it. I wish Adrian was here from Groundhog. Email is the same. There's a lot of misunderstanding. It's more complex than you think. Your website's in an email. So we, we basically put this guide together. Uh, we put a short list of the hosts we recommend um, on the Lifter LMS recommended resources page. We'll, I'll put that as our, um, our uh, tip at the end. But yeah, people need to take... My, my biggest piece of advice is if you think about building a school, a physical school, you're going to need to rent some property or build some infrastructure. It's a very important part of the stack. Uh, so just make the decision, validate with low-end hosting, 
if you need to, if not start on a quality managed WordPress host like WP Engine, which just released LMS site templates, literally inside any WP Engine uh, account, you press a button, installs Lifter LMS, you got these themes to choose from, demo content, boom, your site's live. You're not starting with a bunch of zip files. Pagely, also a great host. Jonathan, you have a great uh, yeah, last package. It's, it's our service it's boutique, isn't it, Chris? You know, and I've got yeah. some, I'm working on some ideas that will make it as easy as WP Engine setup, which we're yeah. developing right now. So in the, I think at the end of the July, we'll be in a position to show you what we've done, Chris. Well, that's fantastic. And I can't wait to see more of that. And there's hosting companies, large and small, innovating. But just keep in mind the needs of an LMS site, just like with an e-commerce site, are different. And, and really, LMS is more dynamic than e-commerce. You buy something, you have an orders page that's dynamic. A lot of what a course or membership, training-based membership sites does is dynamic. So we just wrote, this is really a public service article that, to help people understand hosting. And when it goes bad, what it looks like is somebody really upset in our technical support well, you, 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 when they're having a hosting problem. So we have to educate people on this issue. This is kind of how this evolved for us. But it's also the number one question we get. Yeah. What hosting should I pick? And so we have a short list and we have a resource to help you understand what you're buying. I just want to give uh, some info to the audience. Um, Adam from WP Crafter, he used to regularly come on the show. He doesn't come on there now. Um, he's a busy guy and he's got other things to do. And I, I normally love his videos. I, I still watch them. And I'm a great supporter of Adam because um, he does a really he he's, he's he does a really good educational job for WordPress. But he produced lately this video about how Basically, um, companies like WP Engine and Kinsta are really, you know, unnecessary. And know basically, if you know which tick boxes to tick for varnish um, cache hosting and, and another um, tick box, um, you can get like $6 hosting, click these two tick boxes, and you get exactly where you, what you get from WP Engine and Kinsta. And I had a bit of a back and forth with Adam saying this was a terrible video for two reasons. Basically, it's a lot more than just two tick boxes. And secondly, when you go with really, really cheap hosting, when you really have a problem and you try and get hold of them, you... You can't get hold of them, and you can't find somebody that can bloody sort out your problem. Uh, um, I gotta say, I gotta say one more thing, which is um, you have to separate in, out in your mind expense and like quality, because we're we tend to think lower cost, lower quality. It's not always true. And what WordPress, as a community and the expert industry, the schools, the businesses who are doing this online learning initiatives need is either an affiliate or a non-affiliate to let's like take all the opinion out, go straight to science and do some actual testing on LMS sites. Um, because there's just so much opinion out there and affiliate stuff as well, that it's hard for the general public to kind of weave their way through all this and make a good decision. And it's a really important one to make. And I also just want to give one shout out to Gabriel over at Tangible Plugins, also Tangible Services. 
I saw him take a LMS site that had a ton of concurrent users on there and was starting to have some issues. And he dove in and, and uh, really helped them solve their issues. I, I can't remember which stack they moved to, but there are professionals out there who specialize in these types of sites that can, can help you. Um, and he's, he's coming on the show for an interview, actually. So, oh, fantastic! Yeah, he's yeah. a great guy, creator yeah. of uh, Lifter Elements Elements or Lifter yeah. Elements, it's called. So, I'm going to throw it over to Spencer, but I just don't know what I'm going to get with Spencer because, in some ways, Spencer, you publicly said that hosting is just a commodity. You know, it doesn't really matter who you host with. Um, well, I think, but, you know, I think, so I don't know where you're going to go. You're going to. You're I mean, going to I'll tell you where I'm going to go because it's very simple. Uh, I think we're all in concert of agreement here. It's just that I'll take a slightly different tack. Uh, the article is spot on. We are in a world where you have dynamic sites. We talk here about static sites, and theoretically, that's the wow. How cool would that be? But the reality is. When you have a membership site, marketing automation, e-commerce site, everybody except the first-time visitor is not going to be cached or varnished. But having had a, a experience and representing and working with people like Frederick Towns of W3TC back in the day, when you had 2,000 you know, school kids jammed onto a school bus of a shared host, you needed these tricks. We don't need these tricks anymore. We have unlimited horsepower for pennies on the dollar. And so what people need to know, which ties into your conversation exactly, is stop being so penny-wise and dollar-foolish about your purchase decisions because you can get an overly competent cloud hosting account through, I'm not going to name the name, but the Cloudwazer can start, whomever, is that it's over-capable without varnish and caching. Once you have that, you have nothing that will screw up your site because nine out of the 10 problems that we have and we face with the marketing automation at WP Fusion or with the, the WooCommerce launch flow stuff is, oh, I've got this rocket cache thing or that cache thing on and I don't see why when somebody buys the product, they don't get the tag or don't get access. It's because that cache is taking a Polaroid picture of what was there two minutes ago and showing that to the person perpetually and they get confused about how this works. So here's my simple advice. Spend for any type of membership site, marketing automation, if you spend $25 or more on a cloud hosting account from any of the name brands, Digital or Vulture or Google or you know, AWS, whichever, turn off Varnish, turn off all cash. Don't use crazy third-party out-of-control page builders, which have 8,000 lines of JavaScript to do what one would. And then focus on doing as little as possible till you get the mechanics running. You will have a perfectly capable site. And here's the last bit, the human psychology. Factually true based on experience. Nobody gives a rat's tushy if your page that's a membership site takes three seconds or six seconds or eight seconds. The only time that that has any relevance is when you're on a sales page. If you're on a sales page, you need to have a flat, fixed, static page with a button so somebody gets immediate satisfaction. Everything that's membership content and e-commerce, nobody cares within a window of Five or six seconds, you know what I mean? Three to eight seconds, who cares? If it's taking 20 seconds, yeah, people are going to be like, it's broken. And that's it. If you just follow that formula, 
Like you can literally not have any of these issues and then, you know, get on with your day. Yeah, I totally agree with you because Chris, I've got to tell you, the people we're hosting, we don't put any cash. We just crank up the resources. You have to. That's my advice. You know, we don't. We yeah. don't put any cash in on or the, the. We turn it off. I, I, we, I actually turn everything off. And if they need more RAM and more disk, it's virtual. We just. I just go into my Copmaster. Ten bucks console, more a month. You go and to I four- just. I just ram it up. For- right. right. And I mean, like, think about it. If you have a business, sorry, Kim, I admit. If you have a business. You can't afford another $10 a month for the thing that the business runs on? Like, that's like, have you, you had a store. Sorry, folks, the lights are off in the store from noon to two because I can't afford the electricity to keep the lights on. Well, then maybe you're in the wrong business. Yeah, what do you reckon, Kim? Well, I really wanted to talk about this one. Uh, first, I loved the article, Chris. It's something I have run into with four clients this year already. So I just wanted to add to that article, one of the things I have people do when they come to me, and I know I beat a dead horse with planning ahead, but planning and testing are a critical part of launching online platforms that are sometimes overlooked. And I actually have my clients put together, how many people are we looking at concurrently? And let's get 30 people, 40 people, 50 people all hitting that site at the same time. And let's see what happens before it happens with paying customers who are now irritated because I'm with you, Spencer, three to eight seconds is one thing, but when the whole site just spins like this for eight minutes and then kicks you out, that's a whole nother thing for a paying customer. So I just wanted to add those two things, but it's a great article. They don't get the I love that. I love the point on testing too. It's so often skipped yet oh, so yeah. important and can reduce so many problems just by taking a day or a week to test. Well, what they don't understand, Chris, is that this isn't this is obviously a website, but it's actually an application as well, isn't it? It's a web application. And they have a tendency to think they they're in a kind of it's just a website mindset. But but it, you know, where the idea you should test something doesn't really enter their mind, does it, Chris? Does well, I it? think it's our job as leaders to help people learn that they need to do that. You know, they, they, and maybe they have some, just like with the hosting or the email, they're going to have some assumptions that something is simpler than it is or more, um, you know, foolproof than it is. So, so what do you reckon, John? Yeah, <clears throat> I read the article. It was a great article. Um and it makes a really compelling case for why you should just spend the money on hosting. Um, it's such an important part of your website experience. And especially when you're dealing with something like e-commerce or a membership site where it's a full-blown application underneath just a, a regular uh, website. So don't skimp, don't spend $10 or $6 a month on, you know, cheap hosting, invest in something that's decent and it's, it's going to help your business overall. Well, I'll give you an example. I've got another business, um, online business, and it's a website application. It's similar to learning management system um, usage. And I spend, and I did a good deal, but I spend $1,100 a year on a server um, and it's a whacking big virtual thing. It's a bit of a monster because I have about 50 to 100 people logging a day into this website. And um, 
I just need, and the the coding, someday, if I can get some more clients, I'm going to probably have to recode everything because it's a, you know, we gradually built this, this monster. And, um, but to deal with clients, it's just cheaper to fault. It's cheaper just to um, throw more server resources than to, recode everything you just you just throw more server resources at it you know it's the cheaper but i'm up to 1100 dollars a year and at some stage we're just gonna have to i'm just gonna have to recode if not and get it optimized you know um but that's the reality it's a total different world isn't it chris when you start getting like 100 200 members 300 members yeah and if no. I could just throw throw another data point out there, um, we interviewed Sean Hesketh, the creator of WP 101, WordPress 101, one of the largest, if not the largest, um, WordPress education sites on the internet. He uses Lifter LMS to power his site, and he shares his numbers publicly, so I can I feel comfortable sharing them here. Uh, two or three years ago, he was at uh, I believe thirty thousand members. You know, who knows today? Forty thousand, fifty thousand, whatever. He's he's on Liquid Web, and he's doing great there. But you got to have like it's such an important partnership with your web host, um, and you can always move. So, <laughs> but but if you're going to go big, I mean, this is going to be part of your expenses. Not everything's free online, and quality really does matter. Yep. Well, we're going to go for our break, and we'll be back. We've got some other fantastic stories. We'll be back in a few moments. Are you a WordPress consultant, designer, or small digital agency owner? Then you need WPTonic as your trusted white-label developer partner for your next big e-learning or WooCommerce project. WPTonic has the knowledge to help you build out custom functionality that your clients need in LearnDash, Lifter LMS, and WooCommerce. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with a full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Find out how WP Tonic's white-label services can help your agency today. Go to wp-tonic.com's homepage and book a free consultation with Jonathan. That's wp-tonic, just like the podcast. Coming back, we had a good discussion uh, on our favorite, one of our favorite subjects, hosting. On to the story for... Katie Hopkins is permanently banned from Twitter. Now, my American um, listeners and viewers, you probably don't know who Katie Hopkins is, so I'm going to give you a quick outline. And obviously, I'm biased. Katie Hopkins is a right-wing commentator and journalist that has written um, for a number of um, very popular newspapers in the UK, right-wing newspapers, um, The Sun, and um, the Mail Online. And she's also been a radio um, host on London Broadcasting Radio. Um, She's extremely controversial in the UK. Uh, Her last, um, uh, one of her most uh, sensational um, things she said was on the Mail Online, where she said that um, people, um, asylum, seekers, um, men, women, and children were cockroaches. Um, she's an extremely unpleasant individual, but she's um, she had um, over a million and a half Twitter, I think a million and a quarter Twitter followers, and she posted something on there, and she was banned. And I personally 
don't agree with Twitter. I don't, you know, there are clear laws in Britain and America about when you use language that can get you into trouble. And I think, Spencer, you've pointed this out. There are clear boundaries in America to what you can say. And then if you go over that, you can get into some real trouble. I don't think it's up to companies like YouTube and Twitter and Facebook to ban people. Um, you know, can I jump in? Yeah, sure. Of course you can. Okay, I'm going to disagree with you like wholeheartedly yeah, sure. here. Great. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm here. But <laughs> um, a, a little known fact is in France and Germany, and if you're on Twitter, all Nazi iconography, um, all Nazi speech is completely banned. And the reason why that is, is because in those countries, doing the, the, the Hail Hitler, uh, displaying a swastika, all those things are completely banned because they learned from their past mistakes. And they don't want to let... Um, fascist leader or a, a any type of of hate speech flourish and i don't know if you know about the the thing uh the intoler the tolerance of intolerance if you tolerate speech like this it flourishes and grows and then you get atrocities and the thing is, is, is these platforms like Facebook and Twitter can ban these things at will. They know how to detect it. They do not do it. And one of the main reasons why they don't do it in the U.S. is because Twitter was not profitable up until the 2016 election season. And I'll let you figure out the reasons for that. Um, but I will absolutely agree. Once you normalize speech like calling a group like a minorities or refugees once you normalize calling them things like animals or cockroaches or rapists or thugs or all these other things you're demonizing them and then when you you make them less than human and then when atrocities are done to them as was done in Myanmar um, which was facilitated through Facebook the uh, actual genocide that is taking place there it was facilitated a lot through hate speech that was distributed on Facebook. So I will absolutely say, too, also in America, corporations, publicly owned companies, they have the right to do what they want with their platform, much as a um, restaurant or a place of business can decide who they want to serve and they can refuse the right to serve anyone. Free speech is not more important than human life. I think I, I take your positioning, you know, it's like most things. I've really listened to you. The only comment before I pass it over to Chris is that I think things like Twitter and Facebook have become such important in the actual public to actually in the discussion of ideas and um, public discussion that they... they that they shouldn't be considered just a private platform and you're thrown out. And as a person, you know, obviously um, her ideas I find um, 
appalling. I've got to say, there's quite a few of my family members that actually like her. You know, I was quite shocked when I had a discussion when I went back to England and I was having a discussion with them that they actually um, thought that some of her ideas were spot on. Um, so it's really, your, you know, I think her ideas are noxious. Um, but I just, I get queasy when um, private um, entities just feel that they can just ban people. What, what you know... Where does it end? You know, do, do you just ban anybody that says things controversial that you just don't like, that you feel is horrible? What do you reckon, Chris? Well, human rights is different from free speech. And, and language is super powerful. And when you dehumanize by objectifying a person, like a roach or whatever was in the article, um, that's powerful. And that will you can influence people with that language. And I think there's like kind of like four layers to this. One is the government and the laws in each country and maybe a bigger like United Nations consortium of leaders across the globe. Then there's the um, companies. Companies should be led by their company values. And and I can speak to the United States because that's the one I understand the most. If First of all, companies are not supposed to break the law. Also, I think sometimes the government is dropping the ball in their leadership around human rights issues. So sometimes companies take a stand. And if a company values anti-hate or stuff that literally can um, cause mental illness or even um, uh, like physical harm to people by inciting hate, it's fine for a company to take a stand on that. And they, they can choose, and maybe they'll lose some of their base before because of that, but that is because they are standing behind the values they believe in. The third layer is the people. Us as individuals can, you see people sometimes like, all right, I'm leaving Facebook because I don't agree with the privacy or I'm leaving this platform or that platform because they tolerate hate speech on their platforms. So there's all these different layers. And if we go back to the concept of language, I, we need political leaders and legal leaders, judicial leaders that are writing the laws to make it easy and to keep refining the language used in the law so that a company can clearly define what is a you know, human rights violation, a hate speech violation, yeah, okay, so it's easier on the company yeah, to, really to make those calls and, and to just make it a legal thing. Yeah, Not necessarily uh, outsource everything to the private sector. Exactly. Because um, um, I don't totally disagree with John's point. The, the main reason I'm disagree- the main thing I'm disagreeing with John, is I don't think private companies, you know, to some extent, should just have the ability to ban people from platforms that have become essential if you want to become a uh, be a effective political a commentator or to be active in the political thing. But on the other hand, I do agree with John that there must be limits in the language that people can utilise. And it, and when they're warned and they keep utilising language, which is, I feel, propagating, you know, violence to other people, there should be consequences. What do you reckon, Spencer? In the law, for a long time, we have certain things you cannot say in public. 
For example, you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. And so where we're at today is we're trying to find the happy place where that kind of logic can be applied to social media or those kinds of sites. Uh, my personal opinion is that there's nothing lost from preventing certain types of uh, rhetoric on social media because where we're at today is with the, the combination of AI faking what people are looking like and being able to create these videos that literally look like President XYZ talking and it's not. Then you've got these other bots that are able to post randomly. And then you got, with all the technology advantages, <clears throat> I think we should err on the side of social network platforms should now be restricted to conversation that errs on the side of avoiding any of these hateful related types of things, even if it steps on the, the toes of a few people that otherwise are looking for something to say that isn't necessarily, uh, you know, so obviously hateful. The reason is that you can't undo easily the damage caused by people filled with hate like this person. You can, if you are a legitimate organization, get around the fact that you cannot say things on Twitter anymore. I mean, just like our fearless leader here. I mean, some of his things got a warning message posted on it. Boo F and who? He ends up on Fox News instead. But if you allow those things to go on, they live forever, they incite people. And just like in the fire example, you can't undo the fact that if you yelled fire in a theater, there's going to be some innocent people trampled to death while everybody races for the door. And that's what we're seeing happening. I know there's a financial motive behind, you know, Ev Williams and all the other Twitter people and whoever else is still involved in the background decision, uh, Jack Dorsey and whatever. But at least he grew himself a pair and finally said enough is enough when it came to President Trump. This particular woman, I didn't know until the article, but I do, I just find it sort of interesting, and this is like an aside note personally. We live in a world now where the benefit of all the social media and all this other exposure 24-hour news cycle is maybe it will accelerate our humanity to evolving to the point of realizing, whether you believe in reincarnation or you believe it's your one time, that if you don't realize the person right next to you or across the world is exactly the same as you, just a different color or different hair or different whatever, but we're all exactly the same, if you can't figure that out by now, well, maybe this will accelerate the process because that's really at the heart of everything. We used to be a lot of little isolated tribes of people and we grew instincts because of that. But there is no difference literally, between somebody living on that side of the planet and me or you or them. And that's why people like this I can't tolerate myself because they're just not spiritually or practically evolved. Now, I was shocked when I came, went back to England uh, about three years ago. It's one of the reasons why I avoided to go back again. I will have to go back to the UK next year. Um, was um, There was a lot of people... in that had moved to England from, from other parts of Europe. And there was, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of people that were friends, family members, and they were blatantly coming out of remarks, we want to kick these people out. We want to send them back to Poland. Um, they're taking up our hospital places. Um, we can't hear English being spoken. 
anymore. All we hear is Polish or or some other Eastern European language being spoken. It's no longer our country. It was everywhere in the you know amongst my family, amongst my friend, old friends. I, I was really quite shocked because um, I, I I was outsider. I hadn't been. I was just really quite shocked at how blatant it was. Um, so what do you reckon, Kim? It's one that I'm always torn with because you've got free speech and all, but I'm I'm kind of with you on, I'd like to, in this case, err on the side. If it was my company, I would err on the side of that doesn't stand for my values. So that's where we're cutting it off. So you do you so you, you, you I think you normally go like I the reason why I'm I think I've been outvoted here, but I just want to quickly explain. Um I I just think um you've got because I, I can't stand her. I, I actually I I listen to some of her stuff and then I can and then it gets to a certain stage, I just have to switch her off, right? But I think it's important to listen to people that, um, to some extent, that you wouldn't um, agree with. Um, but um, I think you've got to be more fairer to the people that you really hate than being fair to the people that you're friends, the people you really like, in a way. But maybe I'm being a bit too charitable, and maybe Katie has um, rowed her boat so far out that whatever she gets, she asks for it. So maybe I'm being too... Yeah, but part of it is she said we we need the final solution for Muslims living in the UK. She did say that. that was she one did of her- say that. He did say so, that. I mean, I, you know, I get it, free speech to a degree. But when you start, like, inciting people to violence, yeah, yeah. you got to go. Yeah, she has. Yeah, but uh, uh, maybe I've just been too charitable to horrible Katie. Katie, I think your, your days on any platform are numbered. I just wondered, um, these people, they just go to other smaller um, platforms where they're not challenged, but there's no perfect solution, is there? So I think we're going to go over to our recommendations of the week, actually. And I've got two. Um, I've got a book um, written um, called Archemy. And I've mentioned this before. Um, I think I mentioned this when Chris has been on. I think all entrepreneurs uh, are in a form of archemy. They, they take um, raw metal and um, or a concept you know, and they turn it hopefully into gold. And the process of turning our idea into actual real company and turning a base metal into something worthwhile is not an easy process. And Roy um, Sutherland, um, he's got some fantastic ideas around marketing and why people really buy stuff and why they choose one product to another. And in the link, there'll be um, to his book, Archimy. My second recommendation is a thing called Gitmail. Now, if you're wanting to increase your email list, Gitmail basically, um, it sees who comes onto your website. And if they've been on another website and um, 
you couldn't do this in Europe, by the way. It would break the um, email regulation. This only applies in the USA. And I don't think you could use, I'm not too sure if you can use this in Canada either. But this company, they've done an agreement with other large websites um, that have terms and conditions. So when you give your email address to another website and then they come to your website, you're given that person's email address. Uh, um, and contact details. And if you put it on your website, you can substantially grow your email list quite quickly. So it's a fabulous um, marketing tool. So, um, Chris, got any recommendations? Yes. Usually I mentioned somebody else's deal, but since it was in the topic today, um, we have a short list of recommended web hosting options for WordPress learning management sites. So there's, it's at lifterlms.com forward slash recommended dash resources. And we narrowed it down to about six. So let me save you a bunch of time and just show us what we've learned with uh, almost six years of uh, supporting users using Lifter LMS on the hosting options that perform the best. Yeah. Right, Kim, have you got something you want to recommend? I just wanted to do a quick WP Fusion shout out. I had to do a integration with a learning management system and then we needed them to be able to pass a course and get access to WooCommerce. We did not need a full membership plugin and configuration. It was a quick solution. We tied it in, got them into the CRM, got them tagged. And um, it's just, I know I'm a bit of a fangirl for WP Fusion, but I just... It makes everything so much easier when you need basic access and you need that CRM integration. Don't you want to also plug your own thing? Oh, yes. Okay. I'm a shameless plug. My How to Build an Online Course ebook and next live session got picked up by an info stack and it is live right now through June 30th. I'll put the link in. For $49, you can get my $149 class and a whole bunch of other stuff from a whole bunch of other instructors. So if you know someone who wants to build an online course, I'm focusing on the content creation, the planning. And then, of course, if they need someone to build it for them, I think we've got a guy here who can do it. And uh, (laughs) so I will put that link in there. That stack is only available through Tuesday, though. Thanks, Jonathan, for letting me do that. Yeah, I'll make sure the link's in. Um, John, have you got anything you want to plug? Come on, you're right. Yeah, this is from my friend Bridget. Willard, she has a list of Twitter management tools. So if you are trying to grow your uh, presence on Twitter, these are uh, a bunch of tools that you can use to facilitate that. And Spencer, you got anything you want to plug and put on the radar of the listeners and viewers? I do, yeah. I put in a link. Uh, this is an old trick that was published in Business Insider from World War II about how they got military pilots to learn to fall asleep in two minutes or less. So if you're... Oh, the, I've, I've learned that technique. I know that technique. <laughs> if you're ever... Just, in, listen, just listen to my podcast. In, <laughs> mate, you go to sleep. Say, to, <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, please check out the WP Tonic uh, course library. It's a, it's a free tool that will make you go to sleep almost straight away. <laughs> there's... There's that that, uh, that com app either has Stephen Fry talking about lavenders in France, oh, or different. you can listen to Jonathan going, "Hello, <laughs> welcome back, folks." 
you know I love to give you it's horrible too. Anyway, this, this is a good one. I actually find that as I get older, because now I'm 72, that <laughs> yes, to get more than five hours of sleep in a in a stretch, and my friends of my same age have the same problem, is nearly impossible. So what'll often happen is I'll go to bed at a good hour, I'll wake up at an odd hour, and then the trick is to get right back to sleep. So for any of you who are older than 30, less than 90, check it out. Yeah, that, <laughs> You look great for a man in your 70s, Spencer. I'm just fishing for compliments as a 72-year-old man here. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, before we wrap up the show, folks, we're doing, I'm doing a free, a free webinar with Uncle Spencer. We're doing that on Tuesday, the 7th of July at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can... Um, Go to the WP Tonic website and you can register. It's got on the top navigation free webinar. We're going to be talking about his great product and also we're going to be talking about a lot, WP Fusion, and how you can use that um, to really um, boost up your automated marketing. Um, It's going to be... A fantastic webinar. I'm looking forward to seeing what Spencer's going to be telling us and showing us. I think it's going to, and you're going to be able to ask us questions at the end, which is the main benefit that you'll be able to have access to a expert like Spencer who knows almost a lot about WP Fusion. So if you've been hesitant about buying the product or you're just interested, you just want to find out more, I suggest that you should join us on the 7th. And there's a a bonus too. The bonus is that uh, what I'm demonstrating has live ready to use seven day full site with everything from the webinar. So there'll be the, here's the techniques, much like Kim was alluding to, by the way, which is, a stack of four to seven plugins, almost all of them free to try or use. You can do anything like Lego blocks. This week, I'm going to show a lot of, or on the seventh, we're going to show a lot of those tricks. But the takeaway is if you register, you'll get a link to just go get your free ready to use trial. So you can just start playing. And then if you do something you like, you can save it or you can use our friend Steven Service Zipfish to move it over to a, a live account or whatever you want to do. But the idea is you'll learn something valuable and also have the practical tools. So by registering, you get essentially a free link to get the stuff you need. So That's great. We'll see you next week. Another great roundtable. I thought our discussion this week was fantastic. Hopefully next week discussion will be great as well. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.